0: Grace Family Church of Rhode Island presents Word of Hope, a sermon series with Pastor Luciano Cozzi. Sunday changes everything. The stone has been rolled away. The women have received a message. The soldiers have retreated in fear. The disciples have run to the tomb. Sunday changes everything. Doubts are put in their place. Miracles are performed. The disciples eat breakfast made by the king. Jesus is on the loose. And because Jesus is on the loose, death is conquered. Funeral clothes are cast aside. Light shines forth from the tomb. Hope crushes fear. Faith conquers doubt. Belief moves mountains. Relationship consumes religion. God's love wins. Jesus changes everything. Because Jesus is on the loose, your tears are wiped away. Your sin is washed away. Your life will never be the same. Jesus changes everything. And because Jesus changes everything, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus changes everything.
1: Good morning, brethren. I have met a number of people, and I'm sure you have too, who had preposterous claims to make about themselves. But none of the claims I've heard, however, were as big, as large as the claims that Jesus made. He claimed to be the Son of God, the Messiah. And the people present around him in those days did not have the privilege of looking back and be able to understand all the the events and all the things that happened, the fact that All the messianic prophecies from the Old Testament were fulfilled in him, for example. They just saw a man, a man, and for some of them, a child. They saw growing up and becoming a man, and now he was making such claims. So they had a choice to make. They had a decision in their hearts to make. Was he really who he claimed to be? Or was he just another one of those strange people with grandiose ideas about themselves? That question was a very real question for the people living in his days. And, as I said, they did not have the benefit of having seen the resurrection yet. Jesus was early in in his ministry, so most of the things that we read about that happened had not yet happened To them, his ideas, at least at first, must have seemed very strange. Some of them responded in a very unique way. Let's read about their, their response in Mark chapter 3, beginning with verse 20. And he came home, and the crowd gathered again to such an extent that they could not even eat a meal. When his own people heard of this, they went out to take custody of him, for they were saying, He has lost his senses. The scribes, which came down from Jerusalem, were saying, He is possessed by Beelzebul, and he casts out demons by the ruler of the demons. And he called them to himself and began speaking to them in parables. How can Satan cast out Satan? If the kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, the house will not be able to stand. If Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but he is finished. But no one can enter the the strong man's house and plunder his property unless he first binds the strong man and then he will plunder his house. Truly I say to you, all sins shall be forgiven the sons of men, and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. Because they were saying, He has an unclean spirit. Then his mother and his brothers arrived, and standing outside they sent word to him and called him, a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Behold, your mother and your brothers are outside looking for you. Answering them, he said, Who are my brothers and mother and brothers? And looking about at those who were sitting around him, he said, Behold, my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. So, as you can see, from this passage, there, was a, and there were a number of different responses to Jesus' claims and what he was doing, especially at the beginning of his ministry. Some were moved to faith. I mean, after all, how can someone cast out demons or heal the people? Others, however, questioned, had, had questions and doubts Yet others rejected him completely and actually made preposterous statements of their own. Let's review it together as we usually do. Beginning with verse 20. Notice that verse 20 says that he came home. Most likely this was in Capernaum, which was his base in the early ministry. At this stage, his ministry was quite intense. People were curious They needed his healing, his healing touch. Some had needed to be made free from unclean spirits. And when the word of that went around the area, well, of course, people in their curiosity wanted to see for themselves. Verse 21. When his own people heard of this, they went out to take custody of him, for they were saying, he has lost his senses. Notice here that His own people heard of this. That is understood as meaning his family by virtue of the context. It makes it pretty clear. And they were concerned about what the religious authorities were saying about Jesus. And they were most likely attempting to reach him and plead with him to come back to common sense before the leaders caught up to him and well, and and marked him as a false teacher. They were concerned about him. And they wanted to, as the scripture says, take custody of him. That in the Greek is the same verb that would be used for imprisonment, for an arrest. They intended to seize Jesus and force him to return to Nazareth with them. That seemed to be like a family intervention perhaps intended to protect him from himself and what scripture says here that they thought he had lost his senses now that doesn't necessarily mean madness but excess having lost a sense of balance of what may have been religiously appropriate they thought he was becoming one of the religious fanatics of those days like then, even today, family can be the most challenging aspect of it for a believer, especially when they don't understand what and why we believe. The best course of action, I found out in my own life, the best course of action in those cases for an unbelieving family is to let the love of God be expressed toward them through us. You see, it is that love that will speak loudly for us. Then as the time comes, we can explain where it comes from and why. Family relationships can be much more difficult, however, when unfortunately like I did at the beginning when, in my conversion, when we speak too much, when we attempt to convert them with our own words as if it is our job and our work to convert them. You see, they know they know us all too well. They know our flaws. They know that we don't quite live up to the standard of Jesus Christ. But when His love, His love, is expressed through us and touches them, brethren, there is no argument that can stand against it. It is totally amazing. But let's get back to our text. We see that the family of Jesus was going to see Him, attempting to take hold of him, maybe force him to go back home with them and come back to his, quote-unquote, to his senses. And then Mark kind of takes, takes a, a break from that and describes what happened in the meantime before the family reached him. In verse 22, The scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He is possessed by Baal's and he casts out demons by the ruler of the demons. Now, Belzebul is another name for Satan, who is the ruler of the demons, as verse 22 says. Now, often, the accusations that are raised against God and those who believe in God are unreasonable. Sometimes they're scary. But when confronted by that, we must stand firm in the truth, and hold on to him who is the truth, and that is Jesus Christ. Notice the way he responded to them in verses 23 to 26. And he called to them to himself and began speaking to them in parables. How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. If Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but he is finished. How can Satan cast out Satan? You see, that first part of Jesus' answer pointed out quite clearly how illogical the accusation that was raised against him truly was. Because it assumed that Satan was acting against himself, This analogy actually pointed out that the opposite was true. Jesus made it pretty clear that Satan would not cast out Satan. Now, had Jesus stopped here, however, there would be several questions remaining. How, for example, was Jesus actually the Messiah? Would he truly defeat Satan? Well, in reality, Satan's defeat had already begun. Jesus had resisted his temptations and he was about to overcome the ultimate weapon of Satan, death itself. But Jesus continued and explained in in terms in parable terms how he was going to ultimately defeat Satan. We'll find it in verse 27. But no one can enter the strong man's house and plunder his property unless he first binds the strong man and then he, he will plunder his house. Now that is, sounds a little cryptic at first, but if we understand that the strong man is Satan and the strong man's house is a realm of sin, the sickness, the demonic activity, death, and the strong man's possession being people enslaved by sin, sickness, or demonic activity, we find here that Jesus was talking about Himself entering into the strong man's um, dwelling, or the house, to take his possessions. This is not promoting stealing, of course, it's just an an analogy, an, an example that Jesus used to show that He would first need to overcome the strong man. He said, "Unless none of that is possible, unless he first binds a strong man, Satan may be strong. But the point here is that Jesus is much, much stronger, and he had indeed overcome Satan, and eventually, in due course, will be would will be bounding Satan forever, having redeemed all of us from his grip, from his grip and from his control. Let's go to verses 28 and 30. Truly I say to you, all sins shall be forgiven the sons of men, and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin, because they were saying, he has an unclean spirit. Now Jesus here issued a very strong warning. He said all sins will be forgiven. And so he confirmed the grace of God and his willingness to forgive us all, with one exception, the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. And perhaps more than many other passages, this passage has been, this statement, I meant, is being debated and has caused great concern in many people's lives. Blasphemy, against the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? It, it simply means an attitude of defiant hostility against God. That hostility against God is manifest in the rejection of the work of the Holy Spirit, that the work that the Holy Spirit does in the, and through the Savior. In other words, it is a rejection of God's saving will and power. It is an enduring and willful unbelief, and obviously with a consequent rejection of the only one, the only person, who is our Savior. There is only one Savior, brethren. And if we reject that one Savior, there is no other Savior. And if we reject the work that the Holy Spirit is doing, drawing us to Jesus Christ, there is no other Messiah. Mark clarified that Jesus made this comment because they were saying that he had an unclean spirit. They were equating the work of a savior to the work of a demon or Satan himself. One thing is also important to notice is that Jesus did not say that the teachers had already committed the unpardonable sin, but that they were in danger of that kind of rejection the rejection of the only one who could save them from sin. Now, typically, people look at this passage, this statement, and become concerned about their own lives. And and typically, the answer they (coughs) they receive is that if they are concerned or worried about having committed the unpardonable sin, that would be demonstration that they have not committed that sin for they that they have not utterly rejected the Savior because otherwise they would not be concerned about it at all there is however another side to to this which most often it it goes unnoticed and and that comes from the fact that this whole passage is not about us it is about Jesus This simply means that our attention should be directed to Jesus as Messiah rather than ourselves. And if we make this passage to be about us, then we will end up distorting, distorting its meaning, distorting what it says. Practically, this difference calls us to ask our questions in a different way. Normally, uh, typically, people worry about am I okay or am I safe have I stepped into that sin and therefore no longer safe compare that with a different approach have I rejected him who is the very source of my salvation have I offended Jesus the Messiah who has done so much for me now there's a difference between the two in the first we are so concerned about ourselves and our well-being. In the second, we are more concerned about who Jesus, the Messiah, is and how we respond to him. The second type of concern is much more reflective of a love of God at work in our hearts, obviously, than the first. However, it must be said and it must be, we must remember that in Christ we have assurance so that we can rest in His promise and honor Him, rather than being concerned about ourselves, for in Him we are just fine. So much so, in fact, that God inspired the Apostle Paul to relate to us that Jesus Christ looks at us as pure, immaculate, without spot, without stain, without wrinkle, and glorious. Imagine that. Verses 31 and 32. Then his mother and his brothers arrived, and standing outside, they sent word to him and called him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Behold, your mother and your brothers are outside looking for you. So now Mark goes back to talk about the, the, the mother and the brothers of Jesus that were concerned about him, and he resumes talking about them when, as they arrive. Now, his mother and his, his brothers arrived at his home, but because of the crowds that were such that, that Jesus and the disciples couldn't even eat a meal at, at this point, um, they, they stayed outside. They remained outside. And perhaps... They were hoping to cause him to stop uh, what he was doing and talk to him in private and, and most likely take him with them and bring him back to their home. Like parents, like family, they meant well. But their wishes, if carried out, would have halted the ministry of Jesus Christ and that would not have been good. Notice the way that Jesus responded to that, verses 33 to 35. Answering them, he said, Who are my mother and my brothers? Looking about at those who were sitting around him, he said, Behold my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Notice the last statement. Whoever does the will of God, he is my brother, my sister, my mother. First of all, notice that it doesn't say whoever knows the will of God or whoever talks about the will of God, but whoever does the will of God, he's my brother and sister and mother. Another thing to notice that doesn't appear in the English is that in the Greek, brother, sister, and mother are written without the article. And in that language, that indicates an attribute not a specific person. It's, In other words, it's a figurative use not pointing to specific people. So he wasn't saying that he had rejected his physical family and replaced them with his disciples, but that His disciples would be part of God's family. Looking at that, it makes me wonder, are we standing on the outside as well? You see, when we think about the church, we tend to look for fellowship that pleases us, a fellowship that keeps us interested. he looks at it differently. He wants us to reach out to those who are disabled and sick as well. In fact, he said that if we throw a feast, like a wedding, and we want to invite guests to go out in the street and invite those who are poor, who are afflicted, who are disabled and and, and sick, those who would never be invited by other people, we should. We want to associate with those who will promote our careers and our fame. What does Jesus want? He wants us to love the poor, those who are rejected, and the foreigners as well. Interesting. We want to feel comfortable to find peace and rest with those that we like, those that we find we feel comfortable with our friends. Jesus wants us to reach out to the ends of the earth so that everyone will be able to be part of his family. Again, it's a big difference. See, we may care for someone who is in ministry, and that is good, but how we care is also important. We want to make sure that We don't stand in the way of God's ministry, but rather that we facilitate it and we participate in it. Now, his family meant well. I'm sure that they did. But in their actions, he would have gone against God and against his plan. And if we're not careful, the way we look at the church, the way we look at our being Christians today, can do the same. Church can truly be like a family, a good family. We surely, will love one another, we care for one another, we stand up for each other in Christ and protect one another. But that, brethren, is not what makes us a family. What makes us a family, in reality, is our oneness in Christ. For the Church is, first of all, His family, not our family. So what we find in here is that the Holy Spirit is at work, calling us to faith in Jesus. And He wants to make us His family, united in our Lord and Savior. And we find in here a serious warning to not reject, to not refute, to not blaspheme the work that the Holy Spirit is doing, drawing us to Christ. The Lord has not called us to expect everything else around us to be perfect. We need to understand that too, because otherwise we'll be more likely to criticize what the Holy Spirit is doing. You see, the Holy Spirit has not called us to be perfect work of, works of art. We're all disciples, which means we are learners. We take our first steps, and we rejoice in taking those first steps together. But when we take our first steps, sometimes we trip and fall. And our role is not to criticize one another. It's not to get on each other's case and and put each other down. It's to help us, help one another up again. Do we trip? Do we fall? Help one another to stand up in Christ and to stand on that rock again and walk with them again. That's the purpose of the church. And the concern that Mark raises here is the way we look at him. The point the Lord and Mark make here is not about our perfect standard. It is about the perfection of Jesus Christ and the profound meaning of his calling to be at one with him. A calling that we should not ignore, or even more so, a calling that we should not reject. So, brethren, let us not be unbelieving. Let us respond to the Holy Spirit's prompting and His drawing us to Christ. And let us respond in faith, privileged, privileged by the ability to look back and understand that He truly was the Son of God, the One who gave Himself for us because the facts demonstrate that He indeed is Messiah. And then, let us share our faith. Not criticism, not condemnation, but our faith, confident in Him and in the lead of the Holy Spirit as we participate in His work and in His mission. That's our calling. And I hope with all the heart that you will take it seriously and respond to it as he would like you to. God bless you.